Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Crazy Money. This is Paul Ollinger, your host. I'm happy you are here. I'm happy I am here. Hey, I've got some cool shows coming up. I've got a benefit for Jeff Walls of Guadalcanal Diary this Wednesday, June 26th at 7 p.m. at the Old Fourth Distillery in Atlanta, Georgia. I am closing out the MVP show at the West Side Comedy Club in New York City on June 27th, and I'll be at the Best of Atlanta at the Laughing Skull Lounge on June 28th, Friday night. Then I'm going on vacation for two weeks, and I'll be back half of July. Find more dates at paulollinger.com slash events. That's Ollinger with two L's. You knew that. You can read it right there on your podcast app. I'm the dude who's in the picture of this podcast that you're listening to. Also, ladies and gentlemen, go out to that iTunes or Spotify or iHeartRadio, wherever you find funny comedy online, and treat yourself to my new comedy EP, Alive on the Upper West Side. I recorded it in December right there in the West Side Comedy Club, where I'll be, if you recall from just a couple minutes ago, this Thursday, June 27th. Hey, we've got an amazing amazing episode of Crazy Money for you this week. Very, very special guest. Nobody on the planet talks better than Adam Carolla. I truly believe this, that when it comes to turning on a microphone and delivering through it hilarious, non-obvious wisdom, that Adam Carolla is the very best. The best. Not to say that Howard Stern isn't amazing or that anyone else interviews as well as Terry Gross does. Nobody. And if you don't know who Terry Gross is, you should know. Go Google Terry Gross. Actually, do it after you listen to this whole podcast. But seriously, when it comes to improvisational spoken word, Adam Carolla is a true genius. He has this skill. And this week, he shares that genius with us here on what is it? Crazy Money. Yes. In addition to being a professional talker throughout his decades-long radio career, And as one of the pioneers in the podcasting industry, Adam is also a comedian, actor, film director, and auto racing enthusiast. Adam entered the national consciousness as the co-host of the syndicated radio show Loveline from 1995 to 2005. He co-created and co-hosted with Jimmy Kimmel, The Man Show, and has been involved with a plethora, a plethora of other TV projects, including Crank Yankers, to Catch a Contractor, Celebrity Apprentice, The Car Show, and Dancing with the Stars. Go read his IMDb. It's longer than things that are long. I don't know. You fill in the blank. All right? And as if that's not enough, Adam has also written multiple New York Times bestselling books, two of which I've recently read. And hand on my heart, I got to tell you, I laughed out loud every five minutes reading these things. If you're super politically correct, you're probably not going to dig them too much. But if you like honest, frank, discussion of what it's like to be a dad or what's happening to society, you will really, really enjoy Adam's books. And now to help introduce our interviewee this week, I have a very special helper joining me. He's a rising fourth grader from Atlanta, Georgia. He's darn handsome like his daddy. Welcome, Elvis Ollinger. Hello, dad. Well, so how was your day today, buddy? Good. What'd you do? We went to a birthday party and a um, pool party. You had two parties this afternoon. Yes. That sounds like a pretty good summer afternoon. What would you eat at the parties? Um, I ate pizza at both. You had two pizza meal day? Yes. I bet you had some kind of sweets at the birthday party, huh? Yes, we had Dippin' Dots and um, cake. Wow. Cookie cake. Was it good? Yes. Do you think you hit your carbohydrate goal for today? No. <laughs> you didn't. Because it's infant. 
It's it, infinite. It's, it's infinity. It's infinite. Infinite. Infinite infinity carbohydrates. All right. Well, let's put some of that energy to use by introducing this week's guest. Can you do the honors, please? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Adam Carolla. The thing that's weird is how sort of casual everyone else is about it. My family's super lazy. There's a few things they do that blow my mind. Like if I ever ordered a smoothie... When I was done getting what I could get through the straw, I'd pop the lid off and then use the straw like a spatula. I'd use it like they show like monkeys eating ants by taking a stick and putting on top of an anthill and then <laughs> licking it off. Like he's using a tool to get more out of that Starbucks cup. Like that's yeah. what I do. And then I'll like come home and there'll be some full blown you know, Starbucks or Jamba Juice creation that cost $8, you know, and it has like five-eighths of an inch off the top of it. And it's like sweating out, sitting on top yeah. of the countertop. And I'll go like, whose is this? And my wife will go, that's mine. And I'll go, do you want it? And she'll go, <laughs> I just wanted a sip. And I'll go, oh, okay. I'm putting it in the refrigerator because I don't want to dump this down the sink. And they go, okay. <laughs> like it's it's so it's mind numbing. It's also kind of weird that as the person that underwrites all this stuff, yes. I don't get a vote. My name is Paul Ollinger. I'm a stand-up comedian with a background in the corporate world. I hit the lottery when I worked at a small company called Facebook. I'm fascinated with money, why we're so obsessed with it, and how it makes us happy or not. Welcome to Crazy Money. Hey, Adam, welcome to Crazy Money. Thanks for having me. I say welcome, but we're sitting here in your nest. We're at the uh, home of Corolla Digital in Glendale, California. Thanks for hosting. I'm happy to uh, facilitate. <laughs> <laughs> I have to travel less that way. There you go. So you grew up in the 1970s in North Hollywood, California. For those people not from Southern California, that sounds like a glamorous place and a glamorous time. Yeah, you know, North Hollywood was pretty far away from Hollywood, although, you know, it has the word Hollywood in it, but there wasn't much show business in North Hollywood. There was a couple of celebrities I remember growing up who I knew around town. There was like Bob Urich. Bob Urich. Was he in Baba Black Sheep? Was that Bob Urich? No, that was Robert, and I'll figure out his name in a second. That that was a, Bob Urich was in... Vegas. Vegas, Vegas, yeah. Yeah, and SWAT, oh, and cool. Spencer for Hire. He did a, a, things like that. And uh, I'll, I'll think of the other Robert from the other one. The, the other Robert what you're thinking of is from Wild Wild West. Mm -hmm. But either way, there weren't really many celebrities. We, we were lower, middle something class. I, I don't even know what we were. Yeah, Robert Conrad. Thanks, Matt. Oh, yeah. Put that on the screen. We didn't really... My grandparents had, my grandmother worked a little bit at the VA. <laughs> Nobody else really worked. Like, no. We didn't really have things. What was your house like growing up? Uh, messy, disorganized, uh, chaotic, kind of depressed, lazy, you know, hot in the summer and cold in the winter and just kind of, you know, it was like a shack. It was like a 
my I will put it this way. I'd go to, I had friends who lived in apartments and I'd go into their apartments in North Hollywood and I'd go into their apartment. And I'd go like, whoa, not too shabby. This is pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, you got carpet that goes from one wall to the other wall. Yes. Like, that was a big deal. Solid. Wall to wall carpet. We lived in my grandmother's second rental house in North Hollywood that was broken down and you know one bedroom one bath like just old 100 years old they tore it down they they bought it oh i'll just tell you how bad the house i grew up in was purchased about four years ago in north hollywood for almost seven hundred thousand dollars and then torn down completely and they built a new house right so they didn't add on or put a master suite on or put a pool in the backyard. They bought a house for $700,000 and they literally bulldozed it. Right. And there's nothing there. And then they built a new house. The lot was worth more without the house on it. Without the house. Yeah. Yes. They bought a house for like 680 and they spent the first 50 getting rid of the house. Yes. So that's the house I grew up in. What'd your folks do? Um, my mom was like welfare, food stamps and nothing. And my dad was kind of on and off teacher, uh, substitute teacher, became a, worked at an orphanage at a place called, uh, I think it was like Five Acres in Altadena, which is a, hmm. an orphanage. Hmm. So he was sort of in the teaching world. Right. I read a couple of your books. Oh, good. And when I say read, I'd listen to them because it's a lot less work on my brain to yeah, listen yeah. to books. You talked about the amount of money in your house was such that your grandfather died and he was buried by the Neptune Society. Yeah. He, the Neptune Society was something you could sign up for. I mean, they probably signed up. My grandparents probably signed up for the Nep- Neptune Society, you know, 30, 40 years before they died. Wow. And it was like $22. What, what is it for those who don't know? For those of you who <laughs> aren't particularly religious or spiritual, and who just sort of look at death as, you know, like a large item pickup. Like if you had a sofa <laughs> that, that caught on fire and you want to drag it out to the curb and you just want someone to pick it up. You know what I mean? Like That's grandma. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, you look at, look at a sofa. You could be a beautiful antique heirloom and it could go off at some auction house for thousands of dollars or it could just literally be a nuisance. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it caught on fire and we put it out with a garden hose and now it's all fucked up. So we need someone to pick it up. So the Neptune Society was like large item pickup for human beings, basically. Like you just drag the corpse <laughs> to the curb and they'd come pick it up. Like they, my... Uh, my grandfather died like in the wee hours. I remember like, I don't know, five in the morning, my phone rang or something. And then I came over to my grandmother's house at five thirty, six in the morning or something like that. And um, a dude in a station wagon showed up like from the Neptune Society. And he just like took my grandpa, put him in the back of the wagon and he left. It's like Uber, but yeah. for corpses. Yeah. And we never, never, there was no, there was nothing after that. There's no funeral. There's no anything. They just, just, they pick you up. See a grandpa. Yep. They take you, you're cremated and then they scatter your ashes at sea. Uh, thus the Neptune part. And 
I, I'm imagining for an extra $40, you could go on the boat when they scattered it and take some rose petals and throw it on the open sea. Oh. But that's an extra. That's an extra. <laughs> that's the upsell. That's the upsell. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, it's all a game with the Neptune Society there. Well, it's hard for them to turn a profit just charging 23 bucks <laughs> to pick up bodies. You right. know, suppose they do an upsell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's like the fast pass at Disney World. <laughs> yeah, they, they did. Well, it's like, you know, when they see those flyers and they're like, we'll clean any three rooms of your house. We'll clean the carpet for $19. And you yeah. go like, how do you make money? <laughs> well, the way they go, you want the Teflon treatment? Of and course. you're like, okay. And you just keep upselling, right? So this, I guess that's how the Neptune Society works. But um, we didn't bite on that. Like, we just had the basic. So they just came and picked up my grandfather and they took him, and that's the last time we saw him. And there is no urn, and there's no event, and there's no graveside, and there's no mausoleum, and there's no <laughs> anything. We didn't even do it. We didn't have a, I don't know, a, we didn't sit shiva or do whatever you do. We just, about two years later, I recall, about two years later, this is how my disorganized my family. It took about two years for my grandmother to sort of arrange like a Sunday afternoon potluck, mm-hmm. sort of sit around the living room and tell stories of uh, Lotsi Gorok, my my Hungarian grandfather. Mm-hmm. That, but it was a full two hours later, two years later. So money was super tight in your household. Did you feel a lot of stress around where the rent was going to come from or whether you were going to eat next next week or things like that? I didn't. I never worried about the rent because we didn't pay rent because we just lived in this dilapidated house that that my grandmother let us live in so we she owned the house Mm -hmm. the house cost her like ten thousand dollars in 1952 and it was by the time we were living there in the 70s it was like it was paid for right so i no i never even thought about rent because we didn't pay rent right but uh a food was a bigger issue. Food was a, a much bigger issue. I was always hungry, and there was not food around because my mom was poor and cheap, and she was always on some sort of like health food, sort of whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was like the early iterations of health food, and it was just bad and wrong, and everything they they got everything wrong, and mm-hmm. it was all shit. And so I found myself at other people's houses eating like a a lot. Did you recognize this as kind of a fucked up way to grow up or was it just the normal you knew? And I knew like, I, I, I knew there was a difference between what we were doing and what others would do. Like when I would go to my friend's house and their moms would just, you know, they go, all right, everyone's dinner. And they'd bring out a platter like pork chops and they'd send it out on the table. And then they'd bring a big pot of mashed potatoes and they'd set that out and like gravy, you know, and I'd be like, oh my God, I would start going bananas. And I knew we didn't do that. And I, I remember, I remember like during the summers, like playing pick up basketball on the schoolyard across the street from my mom's house, sort of like hop the fence and play in the elementary school blacktop. And I could remember, you know, like kids going, like I could literally remember like moms like going like Maxwell, you know, it's dinner. And then the kid be like, oh, it's dinner. Okay. 
I got to go. And then the other kid's like kind of scattering like, oh, right. yeah, what time is? Oh, it's six o'clock. Oh, I, we, it's dinner. Like it's dinner time. I got to be home for dinner. And they would split. And I'd just be kind of standing there like I don't have to go anywhere. Right. Like you guys want to play? <laughs> we, can keep, we can keep playing if you want. We didn't have any sit down at any time or meals or any of that. So so. I, I knew I knew it was different. Yeah. If I told thirteen year old Adam Carolla that you were going to be rich, what would you have envisioned? A lawsuit, maybe like a <laughs> slip and fall at a Gelson's. I didn't mean the maybe. mode by which you'd make your money. I mean, what what would your lifestyle look like? What would I think my life what would look did like? Rich. What did you think rich was when you were, you know, early teens? Um, I. I, it meant eating out, eating out at a place that didn't have windows, like a restaurant that didn't have windows. Like I would pass those places like, and be like, that's Chadney's. That's across the street from NBC. Johnny Carson eats there after he does the show. And it'd be, they'd look like nightclubs, like Ciro's or something. They didn't have these big glass facades, like a sizzler or a, you know, Golden Corral or yeah. something. These were restaurants with booths yes. and they were dark and they didn't have windows, you know, like a steakhouse. Charo go- goes there and gets the fondue. Right, right. Like, so rich for me would have meant going out to eat, which is a, a huge deal, but like going out to a steakhouse. The restaurant would not be a chain just be Chadney's, you know, and you'd pass by this place all the time. Like I can remember seeing like ordering things like surf and turf yeah. and, and a martini, like yeah. ordering a drink, you know what I mean? Like an exotic, you know, someone shaking up that martini home decor, like buying new furniture was decorating like, Oh, we're going to decorate this room. Or I've hired a decorator like that. The notion that you would pay somebody to then buy new furniture like uh, the notion of a decorator we never had uh, we never no one ever bought a mattress or furniture we'd, we'd get furniture off the street and, like put a sheet on it right um travel any kind of travel like getting on an airplane uh staying in a hotel that was that was a rich person yes. move even credit cards and like booking credit booking things we didn't have credit cards so did you know, you, like like a rich a rich move to me would be like you're sitting at Chadney's, you've had surf and turf, you had a couple of martinis, and at the end, when the guy brings the bill by, you just pull out the credit card and you slap it down on top of that, and he takes it away. Like that was an incredible rich guy move right. because all we didn't have credit cards; everything was like cash. Okay, mm-hmm. you, you bring enough money, don't order that drink. We don't have enough for that right. drink. Right. You know, in your pocket. In your you pocket. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you? dream of making a lot of money did you think it was possible uh no i i thought in terms of of work and an hourly wage and my thought was if you can get your hourly wage to something above ten dollars an hour and then you could put in 60, 65 hours a week, then that could start to add up. So as you go, if you can get that hourly wage sort of ratcheted up 
to you get to double digits and you know god no god willing i don't know 15 dollars an hour and then you work 60 hours a week then then you could make a good living for yourself so your math to have more was to work more yeah did you when did you i start? only knew hourly I only knew by the hour. That's all I knew. Right. You had difficulties as a student, so you didn't think, oh, I'm going to be a white collar guy. I'm going to, you know, be a lawyer or an accountant or anything like that. No, I I was a very bad student. I didn't learn to read or write. I didn't excel. I didn't take SATs. I, I, I didn't go to college. I didn't take, I didn't take algebra. I took math, like through graduation of high school. And I think I came in like, I don't know, 497 out of about 550 in my uh, class, North Hollywood. I know it was like I wasn't supposed to graduate until I passed Spanish. I just got like a D in Spanish. <laughs> Let me pass. And I failed. <laughs> Driver's ed and biology. Who needs Spanish in Southern California? Yeah, that's a joke of mine. It was funny. But um, no, no, so I didn't have any education. So I wasn't going to get paid I wasn't going to get paid for, I knew there was a difference. I, I knew there was a salary versus an hourly wage, mm -hmm. but salary people were for the most part, educated people in a white collar world. And I was not going to be that. I was a guy who used my back and I, I, you know, I'd get paid $7 an hour to help some friend of my grandparents move and they'd pay you six or $7 an hour. And then at the end of the day, they'd go, all right, you work 10 hours. Here's $60. Right. That, that was my math. That was work. That was all the jobs I ever had. And that's when I left high school, you know, I, I was at McDonald's making, you know, two forty five an hour or something, you know, like, oh, well, at the end of the week, you worked eight, Worked 26 hours and then, you know, I got into carpet cleaning. I probably made $7 an hour. It's like, you worked 23 hours this week. Blah, 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 blah. There's the math. Got into construction as a labor. You work, you make $7 an hour. You work 52 hours this week. Here's your money. You know, everything was that. Everything was that calculation at the end of the week. And then if there was a thing where it's like, oh, but you, you went to the dentist on Monday, so you left at noon, so that's four hours on Monday, and so you worked 36 hours this week. Like, everything was just hour, how much you got an hour, how many hours did you work? Right. So my only calculus was, I gotta get the hourly number up, per dollars per hour, and then I have to work more hours. Right. That's how I planned it. When did you start to think you could get ahead and not be an hourly guy? I didn't think I could get ahead. <laughs> I never thought I could get ahead, but I did have a notion when I was in my early 20s, mid or early 20s, just sort of live in an apartment in North Hollywood, you know, no air conditioning. I had like <laughs> one bedroom and th there was three of us living in a one bedroom. Oh, ladies I, love that setup. Oh, it's so hot. I, I had this thought of like, I probably said some stupid numbers. I was probably like, even if you made $25 an hour, still you'd only get paid for the amount. You still have to work 60 hours. Or you only get paid for the amount of hours that you were there. That's right. And, and I probably 
like I said, I probably picked a number like 25, like, you know, you'll never get to 25 an hour, but even if it's still the same principle applies, you need to show up and stay there. And and I was assuming it'd be a job you didn't really want to do that much, (laughs) you know, like construction. So I was like, I remember being like 23 going, that's flawed. That's a, that's a flawed process, which you need to be thinking about is getting paid like for the task, right? You know, not for how long you're there. And at a certain point I started thinking in terms of that, like, well, I'll put up a hundred feet of red, redwood dog-eared fencing in your backyard. And instead of telling you, I need $13 an hour, I'll give you a bid of $700 and I'll work my ass off and maybe I'll only work four days. And use cheap material and cut corners and that kind of thing? No. You're thinking like a business owner at that point. No, though. I wouldn't. I still no, have no self-esteem. I, I, I would go to Home Depot <laughs> and sort through a million dog-eared redwood one by sixes till I found ones that weren't cracked or fucked up and I would I would use those on your house. But, I, but at a certain point... I did kind of realize that if I bid you a entertainment unit for $1,100 and I can get through that in three or four days with 300 bucks worth of materials or whatever, I could then get a lump of $600 profit. It's still going to break down to $21 an hour or 19. It's still going to break down to an hourly thing, but at least I could get a lump instead of just going, give me 15 an hour. Right. So I started to kind of realize I think it'd be better to get paid for the task than how long you were there. Right. And and I realized that's the way to do it. I had no modality to do that. I just went, that's the way to do it. And eventually, cutting through a lot of years here, but eventually you end up getting into the radio business, partly through your friendship with Jimmy Kimmel uh, or directly through your friendship with Jimmy Kimmel. And you're starting on a path of something that starts to really resonate with you. You said in one of your books, you said, when you do things in life, ask yourself the question, does it make you happy or does it make you money? And it sounds like at this point in your life, you're doing something that actually fulfilled both of those requirements. Is that accurate? Yeah, it was interesting to get paid for ideas versus moving boxes. (laughs) Sweating, getting sunburned. Yeah, I got paid to move things or pick clean things up or scrape things or paint things, you know? Mm -hmm. And and it was getting, it was interesting sitting around in air conditioning, getting paid to come up with ideas or jokes even. Was it disconcerting? Did you trust that you were actually there doing that thing? I I was, oh, everything kind of came on fairly slowly over the course of X amount of years. I was never discovered at the Brown Derby, you know, <laughs> having a malt, you know, some guy. You're at a soda fountain. Yeah, <laughs> you got it, kid. <laughs> to the moon, that's where your career's going. I don't no. think dudes get discovered that nah, way. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> I'm not even sure women do without the sex. Right. But I, they probably just left that part out of the equation. <laughs> right. Oh, she was darling at a soda fountain. So I was like, I, it, it all moved, it all happened so slowly and so deliberately that I didn't get the bends. You know, I, I, I was able to acclimate to every new altitude I was ascending to. Sure. 
So I never really got short of breath. So no, I, I wasn't like pinch myself. And it was also sort of like, well, this is a whole new job with a whole new set of requirements mm-hmm. and and work. And now you've got a lot of people not to let down. And there's a lot of people that are depending on you. Right. And you have this big crew and this big staff. And you can't just call in sick. They, right. they can't do what they do. No one, everyone will go home. Like it's it was a kind of a new thing where... Now you're getting paid. Now you're sitting in air conditioning. Now you're getting paid for your thoughts and your words and your jokes. But you can't be sick on a on a shoot day because there's a hundred people and they'd all just have to go home. Right. And you need to be there. Did your work ethic come from those years of working service jobs and, and manual labor? Do you think that has served you well in this new industry? It is. It served me well in that I have something to compare this to. Um, some people went, you know, like let's just say if you went sort of maybe a more Conan O'Brien route, the Harvard Lampoon yeah, route, and and then you ended up working at Letterman or something like that, or right. The Simpsons or something. You really don't. You intellectually, as you drive through Malibu and you see guys clearing brush, like you understand that guy's working in the sun, but you need to go work in the sun right. and do it for more than a, a summer between your freshman and sophomore year <laughs> at Harvard. Like go do it yeah. for years. Like pay your pay your rent and, right. and then put your you, gas money. You tend to you tend to look at things like what we're doing right now. I don't think of as work or an obligation. Whereas maybe if you grow up in that world, you look at this as more of work or right. more of an obligation or just right. more of the same. Yes. Uh, why wouldn't you? You know? So I, so are you more grateful for these opportunities? Um, I, I wish I was more grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not more grateful, although I should be. I don't really have the grateful gear. I have a thing of you're sitting and talking and there's air conditioning. This is not Uh. work. This is not work. Now, look, of course, schedules can get overwhelming, obligations, travel, multiple shows. You know, I mean, yes, eventually you can turn anything into work. Yeah. Through the amount of it that you do. Right. But I do have a pretty firm base of I really know what it's like to work. And I I do try to remind myself on at least weekly basis, don't count this as work. Right. Having grown up in a world without a ton of luxuries or any luxuries, how did you adjust to, to the wealth that eventually came your way? At the beginning, I didn't really know... I was like a crocodile Dundee sleeping on the floor of the Ritz Carlton in Manhattan. You know, like I was like, you can't buy a new bed. Come on now. Right. Like it was weird. Like buying new furniture felt weird. And, and like, like the first car I bought, I remember very clearly, I was like, I'm going to buy a newish Nissan Maxima. Right. 
and it's going to be two years old, but it's going to be new-ish. And the one I picked out on the lot had a cloth interior in it. And, and the guy, the dealer, said he could put a leather interior in it for like 1100 bucks. And I was like, oh, yeah, We're doing do that. that. Yeah. And then I remember going, and it's got like a CD, like a five CD clip in the back in the trunk and put that bad boy in that's another $421 I'm going for it you know and then I would like I remember pulling up to the Playboy Mansion when we we're doing like some sort of love line or probably a love line like kickoff party or something and I remember like one of the producers going or somebody was like what are you driving a Nissan Maxima for and I was like what are you talking about it's almost new it's like a lot of car, you know? And they're like, well, you should, you're a car guy, right? And I was like, I like cars. And like, why aren't you driving a BMW? And I'm like, oh, come on. You know, like, no way. So I was kind of stuck in this poor person mentality that, you know, you, you couldn't go buy a new car. You could buy a car that was two years old from a dealer. And right. that was as new as a car got. In, in my world. No one in my family could do that, but I could now that I was rich. So I just came from your garage where you have a dozen or so race cars, including a uh, classic Porsche that's worth millions of dollars. You seem to have gotten over your poor guy mentality sufficiently. I did. It, it took me a little while, <laughs> but uh, I have, and I've, I've probably gone off the deep end the other direction. And now I kind of realize go get the car and then go figure out a way to pay for the car. <laughs> and so get the car first and then figure out a way to pay for it, which is the opposite of where the way I grew up. That's the way most of America lives. So on, on the one hand, you say in uh, some of your books that you're too cheap to pay for bottled water. On the other hand, you know, you're not, you're not shy about investing in the passions that you have. Is that the same guy talking in both instances? I, I don't have, I don't like waste and I don't like redundancy and I don't like sort of, I don't know, ugly American money spending. I don't, I don't get it. I was, it's like I was talking to, it's, it's not really about money. It's, I don't think it's about money at all. It's about waste. It's about attitude. It's about gratitude. It's, it's about like when I was doing a race at road Atlanta and we're outside at road Atlanta and we're sitting there and we went to a waffle house and I've never been to a waffle house because oh, I'm from here, but I'm delicious. like, yeah, I'm like, all right, well, when you're in rural Atlanta or outside Atlanta, it was like, you were like Georgia. So the, the racetrack's a hundred, hundred miles outside of Atlanta. Anyway, it's pretty rural sitting there at a waffle house. And I'm like seeing this like 61 year old, put upon waitress mother probably probably's already lost one kid through like fentanyl overdose or something and mm -hmm. he knows she's divorced and it's like saturday and it's like 10 in the morning and she's just hustling those plates like back and forth and back and forth and on her feet the, the way the waffle houses work like the waitresses are really up in there and they're really on their feet and they're really breaking a sweat and places packed and blah 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 you know, they got like four of us and the bill probably comes to like $37, you know, and, and, and like, all right, give her 20% or, you know, I, I probably left 10 bucks or something. But then you go to the really high-end steakhouse and you got the hot 26-year-old chick and she's serving you and the bill's 300 bucks. And 
you got your douchebag Hollywood friend. It's like, yeah, give her a hundred bucks. And I'm like, right. no, no. <laughs> I want to give the chick at the Waffle House a hundred bucks. Right. This chick's going to marry a producer. It's not worried about. And also, why does she- A couple of times, probably. Why does she need, what's the difference? What's the weight of her plate? Versus the Waffle House plate. That's it's the right. same plate. She's trucking it. She's doing the same job. The Waffle House chick is working twice as hard. Yeah. Now, I'm not here to stiff anybody. I just go 20%, you know, and they go, ah, throw her a hundred bucks. And I'm like, no, 60 bucks. That's fine. <laughs> She's working five other tables. She's going to walk out of here with 480 bucks in her pocket. Right. That's fine with me. She's going to do She okay. doesn't have an education. She doesn't have a skill set. She's 26 years old. She does I don't care. I'm not interested in in making her richer or wholer or anything. She's being overcompensated as it is. Every carpenter I worked with got 15 or 20 bucks an hour and they drove trucks and they could read blueprints and everything else. She's averaging 70 bucks an hour. Fuck it. I'm so, so that's how I am. Like, I'm just like <laughs> Uh, and also like, I just don't, I don't like wasting water. I yeah. don't like wasting plastic. I don't like wasting building materials. Like I, it's not about money. I just, I don't like waste. Right. Or over, I don't need to overcompensate people that aren't doing anything. Right. Right. No, I, I think I have the same problem around waste. I, I see the food that we throw out and I'm like, I ate a six month old freezer burned corn dog the other day just because I, Good. I, I can't throw this out. No, I know. <laughs> and the, the, the thing that's weird is how sort of weirdly casual everyone else is about it. You know, mm -hmm. like my family, the thing, my family's super lazy and there's a few things they do that blow my mind. But one of the ones that really blows my mind, I don't know why, like if I ever ordered a smoothie or like a specialty drink, when I was done getting what I could get through the straw, I'd pop the lid off and then use the straw like a spatula to see if I could scrape any more foam off the side That's and right. then just lick it like I'd use it like they show uh I don't know they show like monkeys eating ants by taking a stick and putting on top of an <laughs> anthill and then <laughs> licking it off like he's using a tool to get more out of that Starbucks cup like that's yeah. what I do and then I'll like come home and there'll be some full-blown you know Starbucks or Jamba Juice creation that cost eight dollars you know and it has like five eighths of an inch off the top of it. And it's like sweating out sitting on top yeah. of the countertop. And I'll go like, whose is this? And my wife will go, that's mine. And I'll go, when did you get it? And she's like yesterday. And I'll go like, do you want it? And she'll go, <laughs> I'm done with it. And then I'll go, well, I don't, all right. I don't want to be a dick, but why did you order this super passion fruit smoothie? If you didn't want it, was only eleven dollars. Yeah, and then she'll go. I just wanted a sip. <laughs> I'll go. Oh, okay. I'm putting it in the refrigerator because I don't want to dump this down the sink. And they go, okay. <laughs> like it's it's so it's mind numbing. It's also kind of weird that as the person that underwrites all this stuff, yes. I don't get a vote in it, which is kind of weird. <laughs> like I feel like, well, maybe maybe if I'm paying, we could. You know, 
adhere to a couple of rules. Do you think that, uh, no, you wrote the book, Daddy, Stop Talk, Please Stop Talking. It's been, what, six years now or something like that? And Sounds about right. In it, you said something to the effect of there's zero connection between, your kids have zero connection between what daddy does and the things that they enjoy. As they've aged, have they picked up on it better? Mm, my son has a little bit. I think there's a little bit of an intellectual understanding of it, but... I don't think people, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. People who are abusing the system, as my family does. <laughs> Which system? The system of me paying for every fucking thing and then being lazy, <laughs> aren't in a hurry to work it out. You know what I mean? Right, it's, yeah. like, it's like my mom never paid taxes her whole life. Oh, wow. And my mom has a lot of problems with the government. You know, mm -hmm. and my mom would like sit around and go, these fat cats, they don't pay. And I'm like, you never paid anything. What do you mean? These fat cats, you know, like their fair share or right. whatever. It's like, it's interesting that you've taken all the pressure off of yourself. <laughs> like you've never found a mirror in one. I've never paid into the system a penny. Right. So who am I to criticize anything? Like, you know, like, like my mom will be like, you know, some of these seniors, their Medicaid runs out and they're thrown out. And You've never paid anything. How is it you <laughs> right. can critique this? Most people that don't pay into the system aren't that interested in really going like this as a society. You know, there's a micro and a macro version, but the... The macro version, it's like, hey, these these rich guys got to pay their fair share. It's like everyone I know who makes any kind of money pays 50%. Like, right. I don't know what the fuck these people are talking about. I, I know it's convenient for them to say it, and I know it makes them feel better about themselves, and I know it takes a little of the pressure off them, and I know politicians who are interested in getting their vote will happily happily echo what they're saying but i have no fucking idea what they're saying and i think they're just saying it because they don't want to find a mirror and figure out why they're not paying their fair share so my family and a lot of families i think kind of do a version of that which is the first thing they do is they take what you do and they kind of minimize it. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're just out there telling fart jokes with your buddies and getting <laughs> checks. You know, like they do that. And then the second thing is there is no money's invisible now. Everything's a direct deposit. Everything's done. Wire transfer sure. accounts are set up. There's no more cash. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of invisible. And because it's invisible, it's been devalued yes. uh, a bit. I I, I mean, uh, a dollar, look, when a dollar came in the form of coins, like gold coins, it was worth a dollar. When it turned into paper money, it was probably worth 85 cents or 90 cents. When it turned into credit cards, it, it got down into the 60s. And now that you can have accounts just set up with Amazon and Apple and iTunes and, you know, DoorDash and Grubhub and stuff. It's now under 50 cents, like in terms of the value. The appreciated value of a- The appreciated value, way, way under 50%. Yeah. Were there other parts of making money that surprised you, downsides that you'd never anticipated? People hitting you up or other things? I never thought I'd be sued, like as many times as I've been sued. How many or, times or have you been sued? Or threatened to be sued. Mm -hmm. 
oh, I've probably been sued and, and or threatened to be sued, I don't know, five or eight times. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's sad. I mean, it's sad that that's the state of people. I didn't know... I didn't know how weak people were and how, I guess I'll just use the word pathetic people were. Mm -hmm. And, and also I didn't know that our society was going to turn that direction, which is you got money, give it to him, you know? And it's like, well, he didn't do anything like, well, he's going to sue you and the state of California is on his side. So why don't you just give him a hundred grand and then we can get, get on with our lives. And you're like, I didn't do anything to that guy. He says you fired him wrongfully. And uh, he also says, you know, you're racist. And you're like, I never even talked to that guy. They're like, well, just give him the money. We'll, just, we'll get out of here. Like, I didn't know how sort of sad and pathetic and uh, just it sort of, um, I was I was unprepared for how weak and how, I didn't know about the character issue that this nation is having. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that there would be a major character issue that we'd get sued by patent trolls. And I was like, I don't even know who these people are. Well, they own sequencing. Like, what does that mean? Well, you have one show come out on Monday and the next show comes out on Tuesday and <laughs> you got to pay them. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And they go, well, they're suing you. I've had neighbors that are like, give me $10,000 because my pool's full of mud. Like, it came from your property. I've right. had people bought my house. Crazy chick who bought my house. Like, there's a crack in the foundation three years ago. Pay me. I didn't know that there was a character. Um, there's a character issue. This is a character issue. I didn't know this issue would get out of hand to the point where they just went, well, here's the deal. You got more shit than I got. Right. I got a swimming pool and it's got mud in it. <laughs> right. Why don't you give me $10,000? Like, I didn't know that. I didn't know people would get, this guy was an attorney. Yeah. I didn't know educated people would get to that place. Yeah. But they're there, baby. Yeah. Well, given that reality, what are you, what are you trying to teach your kids about money? I don't really teach them anything about money. No. I just go like, fuck it. I'm leaving the house. I'm going to make some money. I'll come home. Do you think they appreciate it the same? No, they no. have no fucking appreciation of zero. <laughs> they're they're not good. They're not good. I tell them, look, I'm going out. I'm going out on a weekend. I'm going to work, and then I'm not scared to work weekends. Like, right. hey, don't be scared to work weekends. And when I go out, like I'll go out tonight, and I'll do stand up for free. Mm-hmm. And I will tell them I'm going out. I've already worked today. But now I'm going out tonight and I'm going out for free and I'm going to go do stand up for free because you have to do stuff for free so you can get paid at least stuff you want to do. If you want to, you want to be a mover, then don't move for free. You'll get paid. Right. You want to do stand up. You got to do stand up for free. So then you can go out in the weekend and get paid. So I do a lot of that. I don't think they've imbibed any of it. So you'll advise them to take the free internship to learn how to provide value for an employer at some point. I am basically, yes, I'm basically saying to them, I have been in this business for 25 years now, and I still go out and do plenty of stuff that I don't get paid for. And I, and I do it because that's part of getting paid. Right. All right, we'll close with two questions along the same lines. If you had twice as much as you have today, what would you do with it? 
I, I just more probably of what I'm doing, probably buy a few more cars, <laughs> build a few, build out some more warehouses, you know, yeah. just go maybe do a few more vintage races a year. Yeah. I don't think, I don't, I don't, it wouldn't be like travel more or eat out more often. Um, At Chudley's? What was the name of the place? Chadley's? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even know it was Chadley's. Maybe it was like Ch- Chasen's or something. Chasen's. I don't know. Matt, Matt, you could look it up. It was like this across the street from NBC in Burbank. Chasen's sounds right, actually. Chasen's is yeah, probably it. Yeah. We got to bring that back. I'd go I'll go Chasen's. in halvesies on the. On I'd the... go, where was uh, Carson's booth? I'm going to sit there. Nice. Yeah. And if you had half of what you have right now, what would you give up? Um, just again, I just do less of, of, of what I'm doing. <laughs> like I, I don't, uh, All right, 90% less. Well, I, I guess at a certain point I'd probably just, you know, I am a carpenter. I do have a skill. Like at a certain point I'd probably just move to Denver and be a carpenter, right. you know, just like I'm poor and I'm proud and I'd like to ride my, I got a nice mountain bike. Yeah. Ride it on the weekends. Yeah. The air is clean. And weed's I'm, legal. Well, it's legal. Weed's legal. Too. And I have a, I have, I, you know, like there is a part of carpentry that I do miss, a sort of noble, sort of I'm showing up, I've brought my tools, I have a skill, I'm going to ply it here. I have a trade to ply here. So there, and there is a kind of quiet dignity in that. Like you don't get rich, but you do own it satisfaction of doing a job well and having something to show for it at the end. Yeah. I just, I know how to hang doors. Like <laughs> people don't know how to hang. No one else knows how to hang doors. I know guilty, how to hang doors. I'm very guilty. Everybody's guilty. I'm the only person within 20 miles of this place who can hang a good door. <laughs> and I like that. Right. Right. Is there anything coming up? This is going to post next week. Is there anything coming up that we should point uh, our listeners to? Um, if you want to go to chassis, C-H-A-S-S-Y.com, you can check out my stand-up special, not Taco Bell material. I think you can get on iTunes and Amazon too. And I'm going to be doing a uh, stand-up in Portland coming up July 19th and 20th. But if you go to adamcroll.com, you can find out where I'm going to be doing stand-up. And then you go to chassis or adamcroll.com. There's a lot of, uh, documentaries and things like that we've made. You can check out as well. Right on. Hey, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Will you ask everybody who just listened to that great interview with Adam Carolla to rate and review my podcast on iTunes? Rate and review Crazy Money with Paul Ollinger on iTunes. And Spotify. And Spotify. And iHeartRadio. Wait, it's not on iHeartRadio. It is, actually, yeah. What else should they do? Should they share it with all their friends? Yes. And rate it five stars or else the Duolingo bird will find you. The Duolingo bird will find them? (laughs) Yes. You're so (laughs) sweet. All right. Thanks for helping out, Elvis. And thank you for joining us this week on Crazy Money. I'm glad you stuck around. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Adam. Adam, thank you. Appreciate your time. Hope to do it again soon. Thanks to members of your team, Matt Fondelier, who produced that interview, and to Gary Smith, who produced other interviews while I was in town. It was good to see you guys. Thanks to Crazy Money producer slash editor Mike Carano. We hope you join us next week. I've got a great interview with Richard Reeves of the Brookings Institution to discuss his book, Dream Hoarders. It's a very interesting conversation. Also, don't forget, you can check out my comedy EP, Alive on the Upper West Side, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your digital audio comedy. Thanks for being here. Have a great day. Bye.